What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Uh, good to see y'all, and uh, uh, I guess it doesn't take long to tell. I'm not from these parts, uh, but uh, I tell you what, your, your staff and the family, they've treated us just, uh, we're family here, and it's been amazing uh, fellowshipping and just seeing the work going on here. It's just been amazing. Uh, my name is Roy Campbell. Everybody calls me Soup. Nobody hardly knows who Roy is. That's the name I got way back in the day playing baseball, and it stuck with me. And, and uh, I live in Memphis, Tennessee, but I'm from Shelbyville, Tennessee. I'm from about 45 minutes where the Ku Klux Klan started, so I, I'm a 59er, so I can tell you about all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but when God saved me, he says, if you want to be a Lordship Christian, he says, the the son, a grandson, the grand wizard is just as much your responsibility as your own son. And I said, all right, Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. And, uh, and, and he's brought me a long, long, long way. And so uh, uh, I, I want to introduce some folks we got here with us. Uh, we got uh, Randy Odom. Okay. Uh, he's, uh, yeah. He's, he's a disciple of mine. And for several, many, many, many years, over 20-something years, but he's also my boss now uh, for KA. So I was telling everybody, I'm going to write a book. It's going to be two pages. Uh, when your disciple becomes your boss. And, and the second page will just have the word surrender. That's right. <laughs> surrender. All right. And then we got Jensen Newton. We called him Fig. And, uh, yep. And uh, he's a disciple of mine, and I don't mind calling them disciples of mine. People are like, you're awfully arrogant calling someone a disciple, your disciple. Okay, if you're married, when you go out today, introduce your wife as God's wife. Okay, take your kids and say, these are God's kids, right? See how well that goes for you. All right, yeah. I say my disciples because I'm taking responsibility, just like uh, this is my wife, okay, my brown sugar. Uh, that's right. That's right. Linda, uh, we just celebrate 37 years of marriage. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Four kids, eight grandkids. And uh, God must thought my heart, my heart need to be softened because uh, seven of my girls and uh, sometimes I don't know what to do. They, they cry and I just say, hey, I don't know what to do, but uh, <laughs> say, here, I'll hold you. You know, I can hold you. That's about all I can do with this right now. And, uh, and that's what I do. And uh, so uh, I, I was a I was a athlete at Memphis State University. I went to junior college and leaving junior college, I was one of two out, top outfielders recruited for the entire state and the surrounding states. And I was a seventh round draft pick with the Montreal Expos. But due to a knee injury, all, everybody dropped out. I opted out of the draft because they didn't have rehab like they got it today. And I went to Memphis State University. I just met with this coach the day before I hurt my knee and he says, we're gonna keep our word. Couldn't understand that because 
he had the best record, the best team out of all these other schools around. And I couldn't understand why he would take the chance when the others wouldn't. He had the most to lose. But I found out he was a Christian through the grapevine. And I said, I'm one too. Uh, I go to church every now and then. And uh, I've been dipped on that water. And uh, <laughs> I eat them crackers and juice when they pass it around. And uh, when I got to Memphis, I saw something different in his life than I saw in mine. And so I went coming out of the streets uh, that morning at five. I went to a fellowship Christian athletes deal and saw people talking about Jesus. And that morning I heard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I heard it clearly. And that day at 2.15, I bowed my knee and surrendered my heart to Christ. And my coach and his son started discipling me. And, uh, and so uh, even that day, I was sharing earlier that uh, on the way back to the dormitory, my friends, my teammates, they were going back to the streets to do what we just come off of the streets doing at 5 o'clock that morning. And I said, fellas, before you go back out there, let me talk with you. So they came over and I said, what you're looking for ain't out there. I said, I found it today. I said, I can't explain it to you. I really don't know what happened. I didn't fall on the floor and slob around. I said, no lightning struck. I said, but I do know right now in my life, everything is all right. That's the only testimony I had. But I couldn't contain in me what had happened to me that day. And I don't, I, I don't understand how people who call themselves Christ followers and have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, have him living in us and how we contain him. I just don't understand why we won't share with people the joy that we should have. Amen. So I was hurt and uh, had cracked the shin bone and and uh, I had a, I had to take a dance class to get them D's up. You know how to balance an A out, get that D up to a C. And uh, young lady walked by me, and uh, I had to look. I, I was saved, but I wasn't blind. <laughs> and uh, that's right. I had to look, Pastor, and uh, I kept looking. And uh, yeah, I said I didn't know God made them like this. Him, and uh, ain't never seen nothing like it. And so. Uh, Two years later, I put a ring on it, and I'm still looking at it. Y'all don't hear me. That's right. She still put a crook in my neck when she comes through sometime. Yeah. Today, I want to talk about three auras. That's how we say it in the MIMP, in the Memphis auras, the three auras of disciple making, just three of them. We're going to talk from 2 Timothy chapter Two, and we're just going to look at two verses real quick. And then I want Randy and Jensen to come and just share a brief testimony of how this works and how this operates. It'd it, it just be terrible if I got them with me down here and they get, didn't get to share how this works in the network of what we do. Uh, Lynn and I have, uh, if I, as I was sharing with the first uh, session this morning, that if Lynn and I finish our trips that we have through uh, February, I have gone outside the U.S. somewhere around 140 times outside the U.S. Uh, training pastors and leaders globally. Uh, just got me a new passport because my other one was so thick. Everybody would always stop me and like, where you been? And looking through all them stamps and stuff. So I'm glad I got me a new one. And they don't have to stop me so much now. And, uh, and we've slept in every kind of situation you can imagine. We've been in terrorist attacks. 
We slept on the, on the floor in mud huts in the back of the desert and just all over the globe. And, and uh, Linda, she will have 80 under her belt uh, during that time. And just the kind of woman I needed. Uh, she can sleep anywhere, eat anything, bathe anywhere, and uh, use the bathroom anywhere. And, uh, and uh, just, she's just a wonderful, wonderful woman. Uh, but she, she can fool you because when she's home, she's all divvied up and still let old down, you know. But, uh, but she gangsta out there. That's for sure. That's right. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I just thank Brother Chris so much for trusting me in this pulpit. This is a totally different message from this morning. And uh, we're just going to go another different direction. I just want to communicate. You know, I just want to communicate. He says, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In verse two, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who shall be made able or be able to teach others also. Uh, I, for, I need a timekeeper. OK, you got a watch. Who got a watch up here? I need a I need a good, strong timekeeper. Who got me? It's got to be some man. I can't see that thing. Nesta, you know I can't see that. You up there messing with me. You know I can't see that. Been with me all week. No, I'm blind. I got you, I got you. All right, now you got you to flag me now. No, the last man didn't flag me too well. All right. So what, what time am I supposed to be through? Tomorrow. <laughs> huh? Yeah. All right. So 11.20, flag me down. Flag me down hard, Nestor. Now, you're going to have to get on top of something. Okay, thank you. I got you. All right. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. The first R will be responsibility. Responsibility. Now, we just talked about that just a second there. In in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you, Timothy, my son, my son. Now, we know Timothy was not Paul's biological son. He was not Paul's biological son. Now, in the context of what Paul is speaking, Paul is speaking from a rabbionic context. And when you study the words and teachings of Jesus and Paul, you cannot overlook the rabbionic context. All right. Jesus, the term and title used of him more than any other was teacher or master, which is rabbi, rabbioni. All right. So you have to study the Bible through context. Why is context so important? All right. If I say ring the bell, what does that mean to KAA somebody? Talk to me. It means salvation. Somebody got saved. In a Central American or South American country, they ring the bell. That means prayer time, come together, or something's fixed to go down. If you're a Navy SEAL and you ring the bell, what does that mean? It means you gave up. You quit. You quit. But we ring the bell, three different contexts, three different meanings. So you must study the Bible from its historical context to get the true meaning and definitions of words. So when he says, Timothy, my son, he's speaking from a rabbionic context because Paul was rabbionically trained under Gamiel or Gamiel, all right? And Gamiel or Gamiel, I, I don't know how to pronounce it one way or the other, he was the, 
He was the Albert Einstein of rabbis. And a rabbi would not ask you to be their Talmud, Hebrew word for disciple. They would not ask you to be their Talmud unless they thought you could be exactly like them. They would not even ask you. So here's Timothy. Timothy in that culture is what you call a mumser. All right? A mumser. Now, a mumser is someone who was not pure Jewish. Timothy had a Jewish mama, a Greek daddy. And in that culture, in that time, you took on the ethnic group of your mother. So he was a mumser. He would not be afforded the opportunity to do some of the things in the temple. He would not be afforded the opportunity to go to the Jewish day school where most of the students in the triangle of that day would have had the entire Bible memorized by age 10. And then we have Jesus' first group of disciples would have had all that memorized. As a matter of fact, Psalms 119 was how they learned their alphabet. There are 22 stanzas, there are 22 alphabets in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 sections in Psalms 119, and each alphabet has eight scriptures to it. So with every alphabet, they learn eight scriptures with it. The guys I'm discipling, that's how we learn the scriptures. We take one English alphabet, we put a scripture to it, and that's how we're walking through it. But can you imagine? Psalms 119 is the way they memorize the word. Guess which book they memorize first? Leviticus, the one we don't even mess with. <laughs> so their culture was one of memorization, memorization, memorization. Why was that important? Well, it was an oral culture. They learned things orally. Why was that important? Jesus taught his main teachings over 500 times each, and it wasn't to 500 different groups. It was to the same 12. I had one young man come up. He says, man, I've been with this pastor. He's been there five years, and he ain't preached one sermon the same. He's preached thousands of sermons, and he hadn't preached one uh, twice. I said, pity on you, because you can't repeat the first one he said. Why is it important? Why is repetition is the key to learning, is the key to retaining, and it's the key to confidence. It's the key to learning, it's the key to retaining, it's the key to confidence. We're going to do a song. I did this with the staff. And everybody in here could take this song right now. You, my brother, could take this song right now and go on American Isle and kill it. Right now, this very minute. You could too. Matter of fact, y'all could do a duet. A duo duet. And kill it right now. Now I need y'all to sing with me. So tilt your halos to the side and come on and get in here with me. Because like I told the last group, I don't want to go back to Memphis and tell them I preach to the most boringest people in Florida. <laughs> Are y'all ready? You ready? All right, here we go. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. H I J K L M N O. Come on. You are 
All right. Wait a minute now. See? See? Pastor, you, we, we need some culture training. See, in African-American church, right there, that means we done. <laughs> we done. All right. Now, how many of y'all needed to go study your notes before you sung that song? How many of you needed a PowerPoint? How many of you needed a review? Nobody. Why is it that even some of you uh, well-seasoned saints, all we had to do was start ABCs and it triggered that and you could just sing it with confidence. Now, couldn't you go do that on American Idol tonight? No problem. Kill it with confidence. Why, why can we do that, y'all? Because repetition. Repetition. Let me ask you something. What have you studied so deeply? What do you know so well? What have you put 10,000 hours in to be an expert in that all it takes is that for you to reproduce it? In the word of God. That's what their culture was. So how far have we slid from a biblical culture? From a kingdom culture? And then King James says that these disciples were ignorant and unlearned men. Some of y'all old King James readers, you remember that? If they was ignorant, I got to come up to be ignorant. I got to get my game tight to be ignorant if that's what ignorant is. So it couldn't be what we're talking about when we say ignorant. It just means they had no formal training in, in, uh, with, with, with a rabbi, basically. So here, can I get that stand-free mic? This thing is killing me. Yeah, that handheld, that thing. Thank you, thank you. All right, mic check, mic check. Okay. All right. Now, so, so repetition. So here's Paul saying, okay, Paul is is a is a disciple of Gamaliel or Gamaliel. So if Gamaliel asked Paul to be with him, what's that saying about Paul? then he's got Albert Einstein capabilities in the word of God. So if Paul has Timothy with him, what does it say about Timothy? Same capability. And Timothy didn't get a chance to go to the Jewish day schools. Where did he learn his word? From mom and grandmama. They taught the boy so well in the scriptures, it got the attention of the apostle Paul. The rabbi or the one that these people were following was so responsible for them, they even paid their taxes. They came out under the authority of the household and came under the authority of the rabbi, the sage or the teacher, to the point to where they even paid their taxes. You find that in Matthew 17, 27, when Jesus told Peter, said, go down to the lake, throw a hook in, catch a fish, pay taxes for you and I. They ain't paid the taxes. So there's a responsibility 
when you're talking about making disciples. It means you take on the responsibility for a person's growth. You take on responsibility for accountability and you take on responsibility for them becoming more like Jesus. And they surrender to that process in their culture. The greatest thing someone could do was be surrendered in the process of disciple making with a rabbi, a sage or a teacher. Matter of fact, that was their higher education program was disciple making in that culture. That was a higher education program. So they were responsible. So my question to you this morning. Are you somebody's son? Are you somebody's daughter in the disciple making process? And then do you have a son or do you have a daughter in the disciple making process? These are my sons in the disciple making process. And I take responsibility for them. I didn't say they're my boys. They ain't going for that. They hard. They ain't going for that. They're not my flunkies. They're not my groupies. They're not my boys. I carry my own briefcase. They're my sons. And I'll take responsibility for them in sonship disciple making. Does that make sense? And you've got young boys, young girls scattered all over this landscape who's looking for someone to take them on as their responsibility. And the Great Commission mandates that. Go therefore and make disciples. Go is not a command. We talked about this morning. Go is an heiress passive participle. In the Greek text, I was very upset when somebody told me go wasn't a command. That's all I heard. That's all I heard. He showed me the word. Go is an heiress passive participle. Heiress means point action right now. The A in heiress means no limits, no boundaries. So what we're talking about has no limits, no boundaries. It should be happening right now. And it's passive. How do you go passively? And a participle tells you how to do something. So what he's saying is, in short, my man right here. What's your name, brother? Big man right here. Yeah. Corey. Corey, did you get up this morning and go, I think I'll breathe all day today? <laughs> no. Did you lay down last night and say, I think I'll breathe through the night? No. Because breathing is auto what? Automatic. Breathing is automatic. That's what he's saying about our going. If you're not dead, sleep, or sitting in one spot, you're always in the process of going. When you leave here, you go to the restaurant, go to Walmart, go home. When you leave here, you walk to the back of the building. You're always in the process of going. So why would God command us to do something that we're, not all, that we're already doing? No need to command to do something we're already doing. As you are going, while you are going, since you are going, and as you look back over your going, make sure you have fulfilled my command, which is do what, y'all? Make disciples. Now, it carries the same way as the Ten Commandments. So if I steal, what do we call that? Come on, talk to me out there. Sin. If I lie, what do we call that? If I go cheat on my wife, what do we call that? If I'm not in the process of making disciples and being disciple, what should we call that? Yes. 
So could it be I'm not experiencing God's pleasure in my life because I'm not obeying his command to make disciples or be discipled? And to be discipled, you got to humble yourself. Because the word has built in it a karatismos, that's equipped, karatismo, karatismo in, the, in Ephesians 4.12. Katar means to adjust oneself under. The artist part is not a painting artist, it's an artisan. So it means to adjust yourself under a master craftsperson to become like them. So one of the problems we have, we can't get down low enough to be disciples. We can't get down low enough to volunteer ourselves to the process. Next aura. Relationship. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. The things you have heard from. From, that's the word para. The word from is the word para. Para means alongside. So in this process... The relationship happens as he's coming alongside Paul. Matter of fact, he's attached to his hip. In their process, the disciple many times with their rabbi 24-7. Not just to know the knowledge of, to become exactly like. If it had to do with knowing the knowledge of, I couldn't disciple these guys because they're twice as smart as me. But they ain't as old as me. They ain't had as much life as me. I learn from them. They learn from me. It's a two-way street. And they adjust themselves in posture, be, not, be, no, not beneath. They adjust themselves in the posture of following. Okay? So relationship. Paul says in Philippians 2.20, For I have no one else kindred spirit, who would genuinely be concerned with your welfare. That word kindred spirit is the word isosukas. Iso, same, sukas, sold. So he says Timothy has the same soul as me. Timothy is, is, is a kindred spirit of mine. And what is the outcome of this uh, relationship? What should it be? 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Hope you're writing these down. He says, therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Did he say imitators of Christ? No, he says, be imitators of me. So Paul is saying, if you want to know how to follow Christ, be like Christ, walk with Christ, suffer with Christ, handle this Christ business. He says, follow me and I'll show you how. Be imitators of me. And he says, for this reason... I have sent you Timothy. What? It'd be like Pastor Chris. I now no, Bill. I take Bill on this. Bill, I hear you shoot free throws at uh, ninety-seven percent. Now y'all know this fictional. <laughs> okay. And uh, I said, Bill, I want to learn how to shoot fictional ninety-seven percent free throws like you. <laughs> What's he gonna say? Hey, Sarah, to meet me down at the court, and I'll show you how, Sue. Well, if I said, Paul, I want to know how to shoot 97% free throws like you. He said, be down at the court Saturday. I'm going to send you Timothy. Well, he says, when you got Timothy, you got me. 
My question, bow down, where is your Timothy? Where is your Timothy at? Where is that person that shows up and nobody misses a beat because it's just like you being there? And he says, Timothy, who is my faithful, beloved son or child in the Lord, and he will remind you of all my ways which are in Christ. You're going to see the Christ in me in him. Just as I teach everywhere and in every church. And then the last arrow, then we got to get these men up here, is reproduction. What's the first one? What's the second one? And the last one is reproduction. Verse 2. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, deposit. This is the only command of the text. So if I try to entrust and deposit this brand or this kind or this type of disciple making into an unfaithful person, I am sinning against God because I'm violating his command. God says, you only do this with a faithful person. And that's probably a bunch of our, that's a bunch of our frustration because we're trying to do this process with somebody who ain't even faithful. Had a young man I was doing it with. We was banging heads, bumping heads, and, and I talked with Linda, and I went to the young man. I said, look, young man, I said, you know, uh, this, this relationship, this what is, this what's happening between us, it's my fault. This is my sin. I've caused this. And he's almost like, well, Mr. Soup, thank you so much. I blah, blah, this damn thing. What I was really saying to him is, son, you ain't fit for this. I can't do this with you because you ain't fit for it. He wasn't faithful and surrendered. So you make sure when you start this process with somebody that they're faithful and you put them to the test. When Randy Oden and them first came to me, they want to say, we want to be disciples. I said, okay, memorize Ephesians 1, like 1 through 15, and you, you need it in two weeks. And for every word you miss, it's five bucks. You know how much money I took up from them guys? <laughs> Zero. Number one, they was broke. <laughs> but number two, they were aggressive, they were competitive, and they were confident. Those are the only kind of people that will really get this done. Why is it Alabama football and Nick Saban them, if they got those characteristics, everybody go, that's a good football team. That's good coaching. But when it comes to the body of Christ, it all of a sudden that becomes prideful. And let me ask you this. When did we in the body of Christ stop being the team to beat? When did we as individuals in the body of Christ stop being the players to beat at our position? Why isn't it that teams and the military don't come to us and ask us, what makes you do what you do? Why can't they use us as an example? Why we always got to say, man, we ought to be like the military. We ought to be like the football team. Why can't the football team and the military come to us and say, uh, uh, hey, you lazy player. How come you can't be like them Christ followers? Hey, soldier, straighten up. Be like the Christ followers. So reproduction. He says, entrust these to faithful men. It's a neuter noun, faithful men, women, 
who shall be made able to teach others also. And that others is a, is a, uh, is a major emphasis verb, and it means others, 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 until Jesus comes again. I'm going to sit down. I invest in life insurance. I don't know why they call it life insurance. I guess it sells better than death insurance. And I don't tell Linda how much, because she watched Lifetime. <clears throat> she had to go to the lawyer. But I do that so that when God folds me out, she'll have income still coming in as if I was still here working, bringing the bread into the house. She will have residual income coming in. The question for our ministry is not so much what you're doing now, but have you made the proper investments in people's lives in multiplying reproductive disciple-making that long after God folds you out, residuals and souls will still go into the kingdom long after you leave this earth? So Randy and uh, Jensen, come real brief and tell, how does this work with us? How do we get into this thing and, and, and talk to them? I met Soup at Kids Across America. Here. All right. Switch it up. Yeah, so I met Soup at Kids Across America. I was a counselor, and I went there to work. And uh, I'd never seen an environment like I saw there. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't go to church a lot. Uh, my, co my basketball coach made me work at the camp. But when I was there, I saw young people on fire for the Lord like me, and I saw Soup. And really, I saw the men who were following him. And I had, I had come out of a lifestyle where, I, man, I was selling drugs. I was a gang member. And, and what I saw in him were lions. I didn't see weakness, but I saw Christ in him. And I wanted to know what that was. And it wasn't as much him. It was the disciple-making process. And so when I graduated high school, I mean, college, I moved to Memphis. And I lived in the, in, in, in the neighborhood. And I worked uh, up under suit for six years. Most of the time I'd see guys he discipled for three. It took me six. That's probably because I was so hard-headed. But uh, I got to live life on life with suit. We did Bible study three days a week at 5 a.m. Uh, but I got to see the Bible study time was less than the with me time. I was with him every day. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, like I said, so I didn't know what a family looked like. I didn't know what, uh, how you treat your wife. I, I never seen somebody argue the right way or resolve conflict in a biblical way. I can remember Sue saying, be at my house uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow at 5 a.m. So I was instant. I went there. I didn't ask what we were doing. And he said, I'm going to show you how to have a family devotion. Got his family around. I watched him do a family devotion. The next day, he said, come back. I went back. He said, now you're going to lead my family in devotion. So do you know what my family does every Monday morning? Devotion. You know who's leading my wife in devotion at our house when I'm not there? My 16-year-old son doing the same thing that I saw Soup and Miss Linda. So it was the with me time. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm 53 years old. I came back to Kids Across America because it's the, not because of the camp, but I came back, number one, because God told me to, and it was an act of obedience. But I know no other place that's a fertile disciple-making. I mean, it's like God sends 500 college students to you every summer. And then he sends 8,000 kids there. 
And so for me, this with me time, this life on life uh, is, is priceless. And, and I have uh, 10 guys that I'm discipling, and they're just they're doing the same thing that, that Soup has shown me. And uh, I got to sit in Memphis before I came here, and one of my guys had five other guys. I don't even know their name. And he's discipling them. And so it is a second, Tim- second Timothy 2-2 lifestyle uh, that you see faithful men. Uh, and I was super competitive. I didn't want Soup to get my money. I didn't want him to have to check me. And so it's funny, Soup, uh, one of my guys sent me $50. Venmoed me $50 this week because he said I was late to Bible study. I'm not even teaching it. We send that 50 over to my friend who's in Africa. But uh, for my Bible study that I led, if I'm late, it's 100. I was ne- I'm never late. Not for no hundred, but I want to have skin in the game. I want to, I, I, I'm going to model that. You see what I'm saying? Uh, because, and I love, I love this right here, lions, not house cats. Many of us want to, want to say we lions, but we, want to, we don't want to do the preparation and the work that it takes to be that lion. And that's what I've learned with soup. That's what I've seen with soup. And so, uh, and, and I'll just say this real quick. It's not for grown-ups only. I've had kids who led their mom to Christ in the projects because we discipled them, and they took the gospel into their home. So don't think it's just for adults. And most of the disciples were either from 9 to 14 years old. So I'm honored to be here, and the things I've seen this week is, have been really phenomenal, super encouraging. And we're looking forward to seeing a ton of you folks at KA, and we're looking forward to the relationship that God's building so that we can partner with you in the work here. Uh, my, my start was a lot different than Randy's. I'm originally from the Bahamas, came here at five years old. My parents, my dad is a seminary pastor, or he's a seminary student. Uh, magnum cum laude, dotty, all that stuff, real smart, you know, all, you know, and I grew up in the church, very cultured, um, from the Bahamas, very um, vanilla, I guess, didn't see much. So being raised in the church, you knew all the things to say, could, heard the Greek, Hebrew, all those things and the importance of it, uh, but church to me was just really boring. So I'm like, I just went there because there's something to do. I was really just seeing for the next girl to come. Um, so that's really just how how it was for me. But I knew church. I heard all these different things, whatever. So um, at the age of 18, I says, I'm just here watching the clock like this. Watch it till 18. The minute I turn 18, I ain't doing this no more. This stuff is boring. It sucks. Christians are whack. I, I don't want to do nothing with it. Um, and at the age of 19 to about 27 years old, uh, I lived the most hellish life that I could live because I was um, I, exper- I want to experience life. I want to find creative ways to sin. I, I enjoyed it. I just hate the Lord always being on my back telling me not to do it, try to ignore him, all those different things. But I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I like, I like adventure. I like thrill. I like excitement. I like newness. I want to just go to the most, if you say let's do it, I'm going to do it just for the sake of doing it. And that's just how I was, and I didn't see that in no Christianity. Um, but nonetheless, I ran hard away from the Lord, uh, went as far as far away as him as I possibly can, got into the devil, worship, all those different things, different testimony. Uh, but, but, but I experienced the grace of God that on one radical experience that uh, God rescued me and he showed me and demonstrated his true love and grace to me. And he says, I love you, I want you. And he chased me down to a place where I, it was, I, I couldn't believe it. And I says, Lord, I give my life to you totally. 
totally surrendered everything to him. Um, and then from there, I, I started, went to going to church. That's what I knew what to do. And about a year into church, I was just like, man, here we go again. And I, you know, I say that, I mean, if it wasn't for Jesus, I would be a Christian. And um, because it, it was, there was no, no adventure to it. Um, nonetheless, became a youth pastor. Um, at the church that I was at, uh, they forced me, uh, bullied me into going to kids across America. Um, and I'm like, I don't want to go to no church camp. Everything about it was just, it was, I didn't see anything, you know. I mean, honestly, growing up, here's what I thought that being a Christian was. You turn 18, you get married, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't cuss, you don't gamble, you don't go to movies. And that's about it. That, that's really what I thought. I'm like, all those things, that I just didn't understand that. So I go to camp, sit in um, a teaching of soup, and he hears this dude very unassuming. I'm used to suits and ties and, and all those different things. Here's this dude, you know, uh, basketball shorts, tube socks, and, and shirts. And I'm like, what in the world? Who is this dude? And I'm like, but he started breaking down that word, but then he starts speaking about where he takes the gospel to. And I was like, how? Like, where, where are you going? How are you getting into this? And he began to speak about this process called disciple making, uh, seeing in and through. So he speak, spoke about John chapter 1, verses 42, when Yeshua looked at, 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 at Simon and he sees through him to the generation. And I began to look at my own chest like, Lord, who do you see through me? And then I says, well, I don't know how to do this. So I began uh, pursuing. Um, now, at this time, I didn't realize that, that that soup was on the latter part of, I mean, he on the back end, right? So I'm like, I didn't know the years he put into this, but I didn't really care. I says, Lord, I want to serve you, but I can't serve you because I was a briefcase carrier. I was the white glove. You know, I, I, I was raised in, a, in the, the year that I went back into the church or the years that I went back into it. It was very, it was very traditional. It was very... Um, formal it was all those different things um that that you dress up to go and do so but i want to see it and i didn't know how to how to do it and i knew that man i wanted to chase it so soup was not as inviting it was no invitation uh to come and and to be like him but i said he have no choice because there's something about how he is taking the gospel to the farthest parts of the world that i want to know and so nonetheless i live in des moines iowa from the bahamas in des moines only a God thing. Don't understand it, but that's where I'm at. Um, and um, so I said, but the morning I was about five and a half hours away. He had put his schedule out several months earlier that he was going to be in Chicago. So I've been calling him, calling him, calling him, calling him, calling him. And I said, this dude don't know who I am. So I says, hey, man, I know you ain't answering my call. I really don't care, but I'm about to be in Chicago. I'm going to drive there five hours, go to the airport. I'm going to wait for you because I keep on trying to find this thing and disciple making. I'm trying to get built in. I want to know how you do that. Like, how are you traveling the world? Where, what's your job? What are you, like, how are you studying this? Where are you getting this information? How? And I need to know how. And so I called him. He didn't answer. I uh, left a voice message. About two minutes later, he called me back. He said, okay, I see that you're serious. I see that this is something that you're really trying to pursue. Get a ticket to Memphis um, and come down here, and, and I'll show you. And so nonetheless, I got a ticket to Memphis, um, and I've been following him. We went to the first place we went to was Crossville, Tennessee. Um, a week prior in Crossville, Tennessee, this was actually where they tied an African-American athlete up to the back of a truck, and they drove him up and down, drug him. I don't know the past tense, but they drug him up and down the road tied to a truck. And we was there uh, teaching on disciple making. And he was like, yeah, this is where we're going, you, you know. And I'm like, come on. You know, I've seen a lot. I've been in plenty near-death situations that I don't know only the grace of God had rescued me from. 
So following him, uh, I began to see and watch his life. I began to see his flaws, his imperfections. I seen the way he loved his wife. I seen the way that he would have disagreements. I would just watch and, um, and see what he did. So he has a, a ministry in, in Memphis, Tennessee called Icon Ministry. Um, I went there. I said, Lord, you want me to do this? Uh, went back home. My wife and I was married for about a year. Uh, we, I bought her a house in the suburbs for her for a wedding present or a marriage present. And we was, you know, I worked at Wells Fargo, had the whole shebang going on. The Lord says, get rid of all of it. And my wife was like, <laughs> now you sure you heard God, God, right? Like, <laughs> and we did, and we sold it all. Um, and um, in the process of those years, going to back up a little bit, in the process of those years, I had, I created broken homes. I'm a, I'm a broken home creator. Uh, so I have children outside of wedlock on in several situations. I got uh, a, a woman who have two daughters uh, by me. She actually just moved here to Orlando 11 days ago. Um, that's challenging. And then also my son from another woman, she, he's up in Des Moines with me. Uh, kind of fast forward, we sold everything. My wife and I, we moved down into the hood of Des Moines. Yes, there is a hood of Des Moines. And, um, and it's predominantly refugees. So in our block alone, we have 11 nations that's represented just on our block, first generation. Uh, so for three years, I'm literally just tearing up the house, um, remodeling it says this is where I'm going to make disciples this is where I'm going to invest my life that I am learning in Christ uh, reproducing this model and um and since then man, the Lord has been so faithful uh, so we have about 15 disciples that came and moved with us I have a disciple in Costa Rica I've been following soup and sit under his his learning right to imitate him as he imitates Christ uh, my marriage is, is stronger um, and um, just my son who is very close to me and he loves the Lord. Um, at the age of eight years old, his mother, his whole family is Muslim. And, um, and he sat in a car at eight years old witnessing the gospel to, to Muslims and saying, you know, which is a really powerful testimony because it's like, man, like, bro, I, I can learn from you. Um, so this disciple-making process has just been the biblical standard of how it is for me to reproduce the life of Christ by seeing it uh, exampled and seeing it modeled out in the life of somebody. And so now with things the soup has invested and entrusted into me, I am now investing those things into faithful others, 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 others as well. And, um, and, I, and I live by and obey the, the Great Commission. Um, and the reason I think it's so important to understand the reason is not to only become like the Christ in him, but the reason is to advance the kingdom of Yeshua, Messiah, of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. This is the model that he set for us to reach to answer the world for his glory. And this is the standard that he put in place. So when we talk about kingdom building is we build the kingdom through the disciple in order that his name could be glorified to the next generation. And, and that's where we're at right now. So appreciate y'all time. We're going to have the, the worship team come on up. Uh, parents, uh, as we uh, close, uh, obviously you can get your children from Children's Church, and we want you to bring them back. The reason why we want you to bring them back is when you are worshiping the Lord, they could hold you accountable. No, Mom, you don't, you don't really believe that. No, just kidding. 
you're modeling how to worship Jesus. And so, um, listen, guys, um, I don't know where you are today, but we just heard some powerful, powerful um, disciple-making evangelists. We want you to become and take responsibility to become a disciple-maker, that you are going to obey 2 Timothy 2-2, the 2-2-2 principle, what you've heard from me, teach the faithful, reliable men who will be able to teach others also. Who is your disciple? Who is your Timothy? And are you teaching them and training them to equip others also? Because the generations are at stake. And we want to be a church. We're not trying to build a big church. We're trying to build obedient disciples. We're not going for church growth. We're going for disciple growth. That's what we're going for here. And so as we worship our king, let's go ahead and stand. As always, if you need prayer, our prayer partners will be up front. Father, we just thank you and we praise you for the example that we've, that we've seen in Soup's life of how he has modeled Christ and he continues to bring other young men in like, like, like Randy, like Fig, God, and, 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 and they in turn, God, are beginning to do the same. And so I, I just pray just a blessing over there, the downline that they got going there, God. I pray blessing, Father, in the name of Jesus over that downline, God, that you would just reach the nations. We pray for a mighty movement, God, a movement, God. you would just continue to multiply out God that the work would continue long after soup crosses over to the other side to be with you Jesus we pray for us help us God to obey the commandment that you have given us as we go do what we do that we are serious about the making what are we making who are we making Give us wisdom and discernment and a passion, God, for obedience, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.